Well, it does my heart good every once in a while to uh, um, look up and see my kids serving. I know she's not my kid. <laughs> look up and see Melinda singing as she's worshiping God as she's playing. I hope that we can all just honestly, at some point, get to the place where you quit worrying about what anyone else is thinking, what anyone else is, whether they're looking at you or not, whether or not. You know, you like the song or not. Or you can get to the place where you can just truly just worship. Some of y'all need to learn that. Y'all are going to be embarrassed in heaven one day, I think. Y'all are going to get embarrassed when Jesus, you know, welcomes the angel choir to come sing and you're like, not me, I don't sing in public. <laughs> y'all are going to be embarrassed, I'm just, I'm just saying. Some of y'all are going to have a wake-up call. Moving right along. Acts 5. If you would turn there. Acts chapter 5. So, over these last few weeks as we've been going through the book of Acts, so many things happening, and of course a lot of it started with the beggar who wanted something. God did more than what he wanted. Um, But then Peter and John become the focal point of their ministry and They've got the hierarchies and the temple policemen and the, the spiritual powers that be of the day are looking down on them, and, and it just doesn't stop. But what we find through all of this is that the problems that they were going through and the trials that they were facing only proved to make them stronger as a church. It only proved for them to see God's hand at work in a greater way. Um, one of the biggest blessings I think I've I've received in the last couple of months has been our Wednesday night prayer service, our Wednesday night dinner and a study service. But really, it's been an encouragement to me because so many of them have sent me a text message and said, "Thank you for doing this. This has really encouraged me. This has challenged me." Um, I grew up in a church where you weren't supposed to read from Jim Symbol because he's a charismatic Pentecostal assemblies, whatever he is, and I'm like. So that's on the do not read list because God can't use that one. So I don't know about you, but he challenges me and encourages me. As I've said all along, it's not a book on theology. It's a book on inspiration. It's a book that challenges you to read more or or to pray more. And I think for the first time, many of us are beginning to realize as we get older how desperately in need of God that we are. I don't have a near the same mindset of God today that I had 20 years ago. Thank God I don't. My, my appreciation for who God is, my love for who God is, and, and appreciation for His love for me has substantially changed in 20 years. And I'm thankful it's not the same. I'm thankful that He, as, a, as the hymn says, sweeter as the years go by. And we begin to understand and appreciate who God is and what he's done, and how infinitely weak we are as believers. I don't know about you, I'll speak for myself. I know that I am. And I know that I, my flesh is strong, and my spirit is sometimes not what it needs to be, but though I strive for that. What we're seeing here in the book of Acts is an opportunity for us to see who God is, and to capitalize on that, and say, God, I want that, what I'm reading about in Acts 5, I want that, and all the previous chapters, I want that in our midst. 
One of the things I've been saying over the last several weeks is that God's Word even says, He says, I will make my house a house of prayer. I mean, think about that. Think about how powerful a statement that is. All over America, we have churches that emphasize something. You know, you mentioned this church. Oh, they're noted for their discipleship. Oh, we know this church. Oh, they got an incredible worship team. Oh, this church. Oh, they really give out to the poor. They have a food shelter and they have a clothing closet. And they've got, and this church over here, well, this everybody's welcome. You can come as you are. And you know, every church has got what they're noted for. But God never said in His Word, I will make it a house of great music. Uh, he never said I was going to make it a house of great preaching. He didn't say I was going to make it a great house where they give away a lot to the poor. He said, I will make my house a house of prayer. And all these things that we've been reading about and seeing is automatically, in my mind, a direct result of God's people praying and the Holy Spirit at work in and through them. Which is why we have got to, in some way, shape, or form, begin to make this place that God has put together a place of prayer. Someone said, why don't you just do it more? (laughs) Right. Let's just do it more. Let me just start right now. Let's just kind of start in the front row. We'll just kind of work our way around and we'll just kind of... How do you do it? Now, am I ever accusing anybody of not praying at home? No. But you'll see that they pray together collectively as a body of believers, the church. They pray together. And yet, I, I shared with a Wednesday night group, and I'll be honest with you, I totally, I ain't proud of it, but I totally said no to the Holy Spirit a couple weeks ago. I did. You did not know it, but up here as I was closing the service, I was having a, a screaming match with God. I'm not kidding you. I'm being dead serious. That particular service, as God's been working in my heart, I said, we need to pray more as a church. We don't have a Wednesday night prayer service. We don't have a Thursday night prayer service. I don't see us collectively getting together as a body of believers praying together, as I see in Scripture. And I said, you know what, let's start the service in prayer. And so as you remember a few weeks back, I said, if God would lay down your heart to pray for the service as we begin, go ahead and do it. And nobody wanted to stand. I'm just being honest. Nobody wanted to stand. Either you're shy, or someone else will do it, or, no, not me, I don't know what to say. But for whatever reason, nobody wanted to stand and pray. No problem. Pastor will open in prayer. That's what pastors do, right? That's what you hire a pastor to do. He, he runs the service. And so I prayed. <coughs> a couple of did, and then I prayed. And then I went through the whole message that God laid on our heart to go through. And at the end of the service, God says, I need you to give an invitation. No. You need to give an invitation. Not doing it. Ken, I'm telling you to give an invitation. No. You all couldn't see it. But I was going back and forth with God on this one. And I'm like, no. No. You need to give an invitation. I'm telling you, you give an invitation and I'm telling you to do it now. No. And then it's like, I'm telling you to do this. This went back and forth the whole time I was talking to you. And my rationale? 
Well, I invited people to pray earlier and nobody responded. What makes you think they're going to respond to an invitation? That was my rationale. <laughs> I do that. And I felt bad the whole way home. I did, because God clearly told me to do something, and I clearly said, forget it, I'm not doing it. They didn't respond earlier, they're not going to respond now. And God really beat me up over that one. He made it crystal clear, you disobeyed me. And I sat there going, well, now what do I do? (laughs) Can't go back. But it's a lesson for me is that there is a Holy Spirit that prompts us and leads us. And I ain't blaming any of y'all for what I did not do. What I do between me and God is between me and God, and I'm responsible for how I respond to Him. But I'm telling you, you will too. When God gives us an opportunity and lays up something on our heart to do, we need to do it. As I'm going through the book of Acts, I'm just seeing a church that is lit up. Let me ask this question. I've asked this question numerous times in years past. Same God, yes or no? How many are you convinced of that? The same God that did this is the same God that we have today. How many of you are you still convinced of that? The same God that did these miracles is the same God that will do miracles for us, maybe? Same God. But see, in this here is with something we read about. This is something we want to experience. And it's not about the experience, right? It's not the experience. It's going beyond the factual knowledge of who God is and what He is capable of doing. Because remember, Hebrews tells us that they that come to God must believe that He exists and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. In other words, as I go to God, I'm, ex- I'm praying to Him, expecting Him, and believing that God is going to do something when I pray. Unless, of course, there's a reason why he shouldn't. And we know what those reasons are. Proverbs says, He that covereth a matter, covereth sins, shall not prosper. So if you're hiding out with sin in your life and not dealing with it, God says, I'm not going to answer that prayer. Psalm 66, 18 <coughs> says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord not hear me. He says, I'm not going to answer your prayer if you've got sin that you're not willing to deal with. It could be that some of us have not seen God work because we're not dealing with issues of sin. Because you can't have the blessings of God without obedience to God. But I want to see God's presence. I want to see God's hand at work. I want to see God do something in our midst. I want to see, I want to see God do... If this is the same God, don't you think He wants to do that in Henrietta too? I do believe that. I I believe that God has not changed. In fact, Hebrews 13 says the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. So why do we treat Him as though He has? Let's get into God's Word and let's see what happens here. So we were just been reminded through a powerful short story about Ananias and Sapphira. And many of you said, man, I never looked at that story from that perspective before. But we're reminded that when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit... Excuse me. And to Peter, there is sometimes a great price to pay for the sinfulness. I don't know about you, but sometimes we have to remember that, man, behold, your sin will find you out, as God's Word reminds us. There is a reminder here that, man, God takes sin seriously. And I'm thankful, once again, that God doesn't always 
judge sin immediately like he did in the days of Ananias and Sapphira. I'm thankful for God's grace and mercy and patience and long-suffering and forbearance and all these things that he exercises and we can kind of lump under the umbrella of being patient with us. I'm thankful for that. But there's two aspects of the story that jumped off the page for Ananias and Sapphira. That, and they were this. Basically, number one, they were pilfering or embezzling something from God. That's what the word means. And I was talking with someone this week, you know, once again, as it got brought up in conversation, you can't steal from something if it's yours. You can't embezzle something that already belongs to you. If it's your money, you can do whatever you want with it. Right? Nobody can tell you what to do with it. Nobody can say where you can and cannot spend it. Nobody can say how much you can spend and how much you can't spend. It's yours. But see, the Greek language for the word here means that he embezzled. In other words, he'd already given it so it was no longer his. In his heart, they had already said and committed it because otherwise God would have used a different word in the language. But the word literally means embezzled or pilfering. You can't embezzle or pilfer something that's yours. So we know that from the wording that God chose to use is that they had already given the funds and they decided to take them back and embezzle them. And the second principle that comes out is that of hypocrisy. We're going to make everyone believe that we're given this money for this purpose, for this cause, and we're given everything. I'm going to convince everybody around me that we're giving everything. <coughs> Hypocrisy. Deceitfulness. And you say, what in the world does this have to do with where I live? How many of us have given something to God and then we take it back? God, you have my life. God, you have my finances. God, you have my children. God, you have my job. God, you have my house. God, you have my wife. God, you have my husband. God, you have my... And fill in the blank. And yet, even though we've given it to God, we still treat it as though we're holding it back and keeping it. Same exact principle as what we see Ananias and Sapphira doing. No different. And secondly, how many times in our lives have we said... We're, we're, we want, we're walking into church and we have our Bibles and we have our nice clothes on and we're going to worship God and we're going to give the pretense that everything is great. And we, you and I know in our hearts it's not. But we're going to make everybody think it's all good. Never mind the argument you had an hour ago. Never mind the disagreement that you guys had earlier this week that you still have not made right. Never mind how you yelled and screamed. Never mind how you, everything's going to be just right. Because that's what we want everyone to believe. We're good Christians. Never mind the fact that you had no faith that God was going to meet your needs this week. Never mind the fact that you didn't treat others with love and respect this week. But when we come to church, we're going to give everybody the impression that everything is good. Isn't God good? Yes. Yay, rah, rah. Same thing. Exact same thing. No wonder people thought it was different last week. I, I, I mean, I see when people... <laughs> why have you done this in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Boom! Oh, shoot. Not lying no more, God. If I have lied, forgive me right now. 
We don't want to be them. But you know, upon hearing the news of what had happened to Ananias and Sapphira, the Bible tells us that the great fear came upon all who heard, and following great fear, there was a great movement of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm excited about. Because when God shows up, when God does something great, I want to be a part of it. Anybody else? I want to be a part of that. There was a movement of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at verses uh, 12 through 16. It's not very long today, I promise you. Usually I have two pages front and back. I got one page. That usually may not mean anything, but it's not as long. <laughs> Verse 12 says, Now at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were happening among the people. And they were all with one accord on Solomon's portico. Here they are. They're still gathered around Solomon's porch. They've been there for days now, right? I mean, all the way from the beginning of the beggar who's begging all the way to his healing and, and all that is going on, being put in jail and then being brought out of jail and now stand before all the temple police and so forth. They're still gathering around Solomon's porch. <clears throat> Verse 13, But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people were holding them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers in the Lord were added to their number, multitudes of men and women, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. And also the multitude of the, from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Let's look to the Lord in prayer again. Lord, we want to see a great movement in our midst. Lord, we want to see your hand at work. But Lord, we also know that this did not happen until people's hearts were made right with you. Lord, we know that this happened when the Holy Spirit began to work in and through them. Lord, we know that you showed up and did miraculous things and people heard about it. Lord, we we pray for that in our church. We pray that for a hand of God movement that we would all know that it's you. Meet with us this morning as we look at your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this simple part of the story as we've been going through just section by section, we're going to see five things that took place in this great movement. Just five things. And it's really short, simple, and to the point. But at the end, I want us to pray for these things. I'm going to ask some of you if you want to pray. If you don't, great. If you do, great. You do what God won't have you to do. First of all, so notice these five things. Number one, the people experienced many signs and wonders at the hands of the apostles. I mean, when you think about this, <coughs> what led to the signs and wonders being done was not a pleasant thing. I don't know about you, but it's never a good thing to watch someone die. I don't think it brought great joy to Peter or John or anyone else who witnessed what took place with Ananias and Sapphira to watch them walk you know, plop over dead. I don't think any of them were excited about that. I don't think it brought joy to anyone's heart that they had disobeyed God and watched them die. But God used that difficult circumstance to bring about fear in the hearts of His people and a recognition that God is still on the throne. So most of us, as we've said many times over the years, we pray for a life of ease. Every time we get in a car, God give us safety. Every time our kids go away, Lord, keep us safe. Put a hedge of protection about them. 
know, and we pray that things would, you know, hey, you got this big decision to make. Lord, help it that everything goes perfectly. And that, you know, nothing bad happens. We, we pray for a life of ease. But it's the life of difficulty that God often uses. It's the hard things that shape us and mold us. It's the hard things when, God, I pray that we'd get there safely, but the car broke down twice. Why? We don't know why. But God has a reason for it. He's got a plan in it all. Do you trust Him? The bottom line is God uses the difficult things. And this was a very difficult thing for people to observe. Nobody got excited that Ananias and Sapphira died. I don't read one verse that says there was great joy in the camp when Ananias and Sapphira died over dead. I don't see it. Fear came. God used it and brought fear across. Remember in Proverbs, he talks about it over and over. The fear of the Lord is the what? Beginning of wisdom. Fear brings about an anticipation that God is on the throne. Fear brings about a recognition that God is able. The bottom line is God used it. So signs and wonders mostly did one thing. They encouraged those who witnessed them that God was and is powerful and can do great things. It was not a bad thing. It was a reminder that God is great, that God is powerful, and He can do some incredible things. But it started with the fear that came over them. The fear and reverential respect and awe for the power of who God is. I don't know about you, but we have not seen that kind of power. I haven't. Maybe you have. I haven't. I haven't been around circumstances where, wow, the guy just, I mean, he's just like bolt of fire from heaven. Anybody else see that? Wow, I haven't seen it. I'd love to see it. And it would be obvious that it was God and not man. But the reality is, we, signs and wonders did one thing. They encouraged those people who witnessed them that God is and powerful and can do great things. And number two, signs and wonders also helped those who witnessed them to grow in their faith as God revealed Himself to them. Can you imagine being there and watching one of the miracles of God as God began to do signs and wonders amongst the people can you imagine what it would do for your faith? I, I don't know about you, but I can, I, I can only imagine that it would increase my faith. That it would increase my awe and respect for who God is. It would give me greater confidence that God is able if I were to see Him do some of these things. So as they began to pray, as the, as the fear of God came upon them, in this great movement, people experienced signs and wonders at the hands of the apostles. Number two, <clears throat> the people had unity as they were with one accord. They had unity. You know what destroys churches across America? Disunity. People wanting their own way. I want this color carpet. I want this color on the wall. I think we need a, I'm telling you, my first church almost blew apart over something so stupid. <clears throat> Let me tell you the story real quick. I'm on the middle of Nowhereville, cornfields on three sides of the church. And uh, someone passed away in our community. I never met them. I didn't know who they were. All I knew is that they were related to somebody in my church. But they had this great idea that in their will that they would give $10,000 for our church to get a new organ. Wow. $10,000. I, I, I mean, yeah, the organ was old, but I mean, it's like organs and organs and organ, right? Um, churches are getting rid of organs. <laughs> Here's ten grand for a new one. As soon as that happened, three things happened. 
the person who played the organ for 30-some years thought we should get organ A. The person who was related to the person who gave the 10,000 thought, well, I think we should get organ B, and I think I should get my way, because after all, it's my relative. I don't know the first thing about them, but I think we ought to get this one. And then there's person C, who was upcoming organ player, and someday they were going to be the next organ player, and so that because she was going to be the future organist, Daddy thought they should get this organ C. And next thing you know, within a matter of two or three weeks, feud. I mean, it's amazing how quick we found out that the church had been given $10,000 by someone who didn't even attend there. And all of a sudden, sides were being taken. Friends of this person were siding with this person. Friends of this person were siding with this person. And friends of this... Well, never mind the fact that we only had 10000 And the one that the lady who had been playing for 30-some years says, we can do this one for 12 It's fine. It has everything we need. It's no problem. This, this one, we can cover the cost of it. It's all good. Nope, we need organ B. It's got a nice oak fur, you know, covering on it, and it's going to last a lot of years. It's got a name brand, and it's $35,000. Well, we only have ten. But we need this one. And of course, organ C, it was, you know, not the greatest of finishes, but the interior was really good. I mean, the, under the hood, so to speak, was really good. And it was like 27000 But we still only had 10 given. And it was becoming bad. In a matter of three weeks, it was just beginning irritating how people were beginning to take sides. So I called a meeting. And... Um, Scared to death. I said, I want you, you, and you to show up at this room. I think it was on a Monday night at 6.45. I said, I want you there. And I said, don't be late. <laughs> this is probably the most cool thing I've ever done in the church. I walked into the room. <coughs> and I said, I don't know who you think you are or why you think you deserve to pick who the, what organ we are going to get. But I said, if you don't come to a conclusion right now in this minute, I said, I will take that $10,000 check and I will rip it into a thousand pieces and I will throw it in the trash and we won't get any organ. I said, you better figure it out because God is not happy with this. And I walked out the door. (laughs) Then I walked out and I said, wow, what did this happen? (laughs) 45 minutes later, they called me back. Pastor, we've come to a conclusion. Really? Yeah, she's the piano player, I mean organ player. She used to sell these things for a living. She knows the interior of them. She knows everything. She knows what we need. We decided to go with the one that she wanted. And she's still playing today, by the way, all these years later. And the $2,000 difference, the guy that wanted the $35,000, he goes, Pastor, I'll pay the difference. God worked it out low. God loves unity. He hates disunity. Disunity will destroy churches. People wanting their way will destroy relationships. God loves harmony. It doesn't mean that every one of us in this room have to be the exact same. I mean, I think I like I, dream dream truck. Let's get to get a brand new diesel three quarter ton Chevy crew cab long bed, blue metallic. And that would be the best truck on the face of God's earth. It's just true. <laughs> and if we had unity, you'd all agree with me. 
I don't think we're going to get harmony there. Brian, they need prayer. But the reality is this, right? We don't have to all agree on the exact same thing. But we should be in harmony that when we make a decision, we're one in it. When we have a, a goal, we should be one in it. I appreciate it. We, we talked about a project that we're looking to do in the future. And one person said, you know, Pastor, I really don't want to do this. But if this is what the church wants, I'll get behind it. What a blessing. That's a blessing to say, I don't have to have my way. But if this is what the general consensus is, I'm going to jump in both feet. I'll support it. I'll encourage it. It says they were all in one accord. Why? Because God loves unity. And I find that disunity happens for usually one of two reasons. Either lack of information or lack of communication. Lack of information, lack of communication. Usually when the information is correct and the communication is done correctly, we can usually have unity. But when those two things are off, that's why we need to ask questions. Sometimes taking a minute to ask ask a few questions can diffuse a lot of problems. But if we're so hyped up on getting our own way and doing what's right for me, myself, and I, you're going to have problems. But I love it says, they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. Number three, the people dared not to associate with him, verse 14. What does that even mean? This is in... And more than ever, believers in the Lord were added to their... I'm sorry, verse 13. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. So what's he saying here? The unbelieving community dared not go against the apostles and the messages from God. See, when the unbelievers saw what God was doing and how God had protected his disciples, they're like, we're not going against it. You know what that does? It gives the child of God even more confidence and more strength and more encouragement to keep doing what God had called them to do. So the whole phrase there, the people dared not to associate, it was those who were unbelievers said, I'm not going to join the temple police and all those in hierarchy positions and going against God's anointed. We're not going to do it. So it gave believers even more confidence. And the unbelieving community held the apostles in high esteem. That's what it says here. Verse 13. It says, however, the people were holding them in high esteem because they realized that God's hand was on them. If you would stand up for what is right... Not because you have to have your way. Not because you have to be right, quote-unquote. I mean, let's think about this just for a moment. In the unsaved world around us, watching us as believers, how often do they say, man, they may not be right, but they ain't never in doubt. They ain't willing to budge. Because we're more known for what we believe than what we don't believe. Or don't believe what we, than what we do believe. Because we have to be Right? And everybody knows that you have to be right. There are times, that people, that you may be right. But proving yourself right destroys the relationship and the communication. I'm not saying don't take a stand. A person convinced against their wills of the same opinion still. There are going to be people you cannot convince. You know what's right. Stand for it. But don't sit and argue it. Because what does God's Word tell us? Argues don't profit anybody anything. 
But you being right will destroy an opportunity for next time. Be careful. The unbelieving community held the apostles in high esteem. Why? Because they watched God work through them. God gave them favor amongst the people, in other words. And I believe that when we do what's right, we stand for what's right, quietly persist and go forward, that God will give you favor among those that need to see it. Isn't that actually just loving your neighbor as yourself? Isn't that being a picture of Christ to those that need to see it? Well, I believe there's a fourth uh, aspect of this great movement. And we see this in verse 14. And more than ever, believers in the Lord were added to their number. Multitudes of men and women. Now, wait a minute. That, there's a phrase. It says, now more than ever. Think about that just for a minute. What happened in Acts chapter 2? How many people were added to the church in 2? Thousands. I mean, thousands of people were coming to the church. And all of a sudden, we go over a couple chapters, and all of a sudden, now even more than ever, more people. I was talking with a pastor this week, and I guess you walk away with your heart's broken a little bit because so much of church growth in today's world is so-and-so upset with their pastor at this church, so we're going to come over to this church. Or so-and-so's upset with that pastor and this group of people in that church, and so they're going to come to this church. I'm glad that they have decided, because most people get ticked off, leave churches, and then they don't go anywhere. I'm glad they're at least trying to be planted, and even warms my heart when you say, I've sat down with the pastor, we tried to talk it through, we've come to the conclusion that we can't agree, but at least we tried. That's Matthew 18. We're at least going to try. And I appreciate that. But once in a while, you can't come to an agreement, and they're going to go somewhere. But, wouldn't it be wonderful if the church was growing, not because they got upset over there and came here, but because they got saved and came here? Wouldn't that be awesome? Because we're walking in the Spirit. We're praying that God work in and through us. We're being confident because of what we're seeing God doing, and people are seeing it. And now more than ever, people are coming into the body of Christ. It's what we see here. That's the picture of what's happening here in verse 14. And more than ever, believers, the Lord, were added to their number. Multitudes of men and women. I would love to see that hand of God movement in our lifetime. Let me just say that we probably wouldn't know what to do if 100 people came in today. We wouldn't know what to do. I'd love to have the problem, though. Just saying. Because I'd love to see God doing something. And there could be no excuse that God did this. We didn't have a big concert and twist everybody's arm. We'll throw a raffle to be here. We didn't have the big fall festival and all of a sudden we gained 44 people because they had so much fun and you know we're just a fun church and they all want to come back again. I'm a firm believer that what you win people to is what you keep them with. You want to spend 15 grand a year on vacation Bible school? Go for it. But I promise you when the $15,000 runs out and you can't do vacation Bible school, they go to the next church. You can't keep up with the Joneses when church works. I want to see a hand of God moment where God, because His people are walking in faithfulness and obedience, says, I'm going to honor that and bless that church and I'm going to bring people in. By the way, God says, if I, will, if I be lifted up, I will what? Draw all people to myself. 
we need to get God high and center and His Son, Jesus Christ, high and center. One more thing that happened in this Hand of God movement. Verses 15 and 16. It says, To such an extent that they even carried the sick out in the streets and laid them on (coughs) cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. Also, the multitude from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. The people witnessed and experienced miracles like never before. Uh, can you imagine? I mean, just, let's just put, put your imagination on, on just for a moment. Think about this. I mean, you, I mean pick, a, pick a road. I mean, there is so much commotion going on. People are dragging people. I mean, dragging. I mean, I, I mean, the word, just the fact that they had to be drug had to mean they're not very strong and healthy. I don't know. They're on gurneys. They're on hospital beds. I mean, I mean, you imagine going over to Strong's Hospital. Come on, guys, let's get them out in the streets. Let's go. There's word is on the the word is on the streets that Peter and John are walking down here in about 30 minutes. We need to get them out there. Come on, guys, let's move. Have all hands on deck. Let's get everybody out of the hospital. Let's get them on the roads. Is that what it was like? I don't know. I don't know. But I have to imagine there had been something going on of some significance where they're going to get everybody drug, drug out in the middle of the streets because Peter and John would Maybe this shadow would hit them. I'd say they're pretty confident that God was going to do something. How many think that? They were pretty confident that God was going to do something. Otherwise, they wouldn't have wasted the time and energy to get everybody in the streets. And they were so confident, they said that maybe the shadow of them would hit them and bring healing. I ain't never seen nothing like that before in my life. I'd love to. I don't know if I'll see it. I, I don't even know if I have that much faith. Anybody else kind of struggling that way? I don't even know if I have that much faith to believe that you could do that. I, wanna, I, wanna, I hope that I would. I want to pray that it gives me more faith. But I don't even know if I have it to, walk, to expect that. And I think we're all in the same boat there. We don't even expect God to do something. And as we've learned many times, Matthew, he says, if you don't expect me to do something, I won't disappoint you. People dragging bodies out in the street so that when Peter walked by, maybe his shadow would touch one of the bodies and bring healing to it. I don't know. It's, it's, it's like, hard to imagine. And they're all being healed. Another thing there. <coughs> if you've ever read through the book of Mark, and I encourage you to read through the book of Mark sometime, I was dumbfounded as I was reading through the book of Mark how many times Jesus cast a demon out of somebody. Don't talk about demons. No, I get it. Some churches concentrate on it. We're not one of them. But you know that it's real. Do you know that there are demons in people? I don't believe they're in Christians. I don't believe God's going to share His residence with a demon. I don't believe that for a minute. God's Word tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, what? No, you're not. your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. But when you got saved, the Holy Spirit took up residence in you. He's indwelling in you. But how many times reading through the book of Mark, at least a dozen times, 
Jesus came across somebody and had to cast a demon out of Demons are real. And that's all the more reason why we need to trust in God. It says, even bringing people who are sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. He's powerful. I want to see that kind of hand of God movement. So this is how I'd like to close this morning. We don't do this often, but I'm just that might be a, an appropriate way to, to close our service. I want to pray for these five things this morning. Number one, I want to pray that God would allow us to see signs and wonders. In other words, His hand at work in our midst. I am not telling God what He has to do. I, God has freedom and total reign to do whatever He wants. But I would pray that God would allow us to see His hand at work and see His miraculous signs and wonders. Can I have one volunteer to pray for that this morning? Thank you, Bill. Number two, I'd like for us to pray for unity. He says that they were all in one accord. I would love for our church to have perfect unity. So let's pray that unity in all our decisions and endeavors. Can I have one volunteer to pray for unity? Dave, thank you. Number three, pray for people to be decisive in their commitments. Where do I get that? It says in number three, and, and this is a, is that, that the people dared not to associate with them. They made a commitment. There was a line drawn in the sand whose side they were on. And we need to be decisive in our commitments. Our relatives, our families, our friends, our relatives, they ought to know which side we're on. So number three, pray for people to be decisive in their commitment to Christ. Anyone would like to pray for that? Mike, thank you. Number four, pray for people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let's pray for people to come get saved. Now volunteer. Thank you, Jason. And then, number five, pray that we would have greater faith to see God do great things. Let's pray for God to increase our faith. One person to pray for that. Frank. In that order then, Bill, would you lead us off? And then when we're all done, we'll just close it.